Well, first of all, Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. Thank, Thank you for having me. Thank you. Um, I want to get right into this. What was it about becoming a devotee of Krishna, you know, a Hindu monastic that appealed to you? Why did you follow this path? It happened, uh, I think, gradually in retrospect. You know, I, I look at my high school days as when I got introduced to Bob Marley and the Whalers. <laughs> Mm -hmm. And uh, I was slowing down my world, you know, through some herbs. And I started to question, you know, what's going on? Where is everyone rushing to? Who set up the world the way it is? And why do I have to participate in that? And especially I was looking at everyone older than myself. Are they getting any happier doing all the things that they're doing? Mm -hmm. so hearing also Bob Marley with his conscious you could say it was philosophical religious, spiritual yeah. uh, political yeah it's just so it's very deep and so then I, I was looking out for any wisdom culture that can give us an alternative so fast forward to my university days uh, I was just walking down the corridors with my friend and I saw a poster, Bhakti Yoga Society. They had a topic, a cure for all diseases. <laughs> and initially I thought, these guys, who are these guys? And when yoga caught my eye, we all thought, okay, we should check it out. But their topic, you know, are they, are they also smoking some herb or something? <laughs> cure for all diseases. Uh-huh. So we descended onto that program and we, I remember seeing the monks and naturally we were attracted, you know, we thought these guys are young and they look different than anyone we've seen. They must know something we all don't know. Mm -hmm. We wanted to find out what you guys into. And they told us they were doing this bhakti yoga session and we're like, that's what we came for. So one of the monks, he, he was speaking, you know, um, tall guy, Africana guy. Remember, South Africa is like apartheid history. And at that time, we're like, we're in a black consciousness movement also. So we're thinking, what's this Africana guy going to tell us? But he's so calm. He's so zen, you know, big old smile. He spoke about, we're not the body, we're the soul. And that was just like light bulb moment for me because I was battling with this just identifying with my skin as my ultimate identity. Wow. Mm -hmm. And I felt there were rogues and rascals amongst the African people, the white people, the Chinese. It's not that just the white man colonized us and so he's all bad, that the black man looks like me, so he's all good. Mm. So when he said that about the soul, it just, it caught my attention. And I decided, let me hear them. Uh, he spoke, it made some sense. They had the nice little song. We sang and, and danced and they were vegetarian. And from my Rasta days, I'd always been looking when would I actually put into practice this Aital living. So, yeah, from that day, I, I decided to just come for their sessions. Mm. And slowly, gradually, I appreciated that their story was in sync. Whomever you spoke with, you know, it wasn't just what they thought. And uh, it also fit in all the other informations that I'd already found out. I see. Yeah. So would you say the yogic path is a path to this health and happiness and maybe curing all diseases? Yes, yes. I'd say in due course of time, I found out actually that ultimately the, the biggest anomaly or disease is that we have this physical body, this temporary body. And we are like a, an eternal being within a temporary body. 
Mm-hmm. And so in one sense, it's a disease on the spiritual being. Mm. Uh, at the same time, it's an opportunity uh, to experience so many things. And also it can be used to gain that spiritual advantage again. So the yogic path here offers a lot of um, remedies, you know, physical, psychological, and ultimately spiritual. So in one sense, it cures a lot, a lot of disease. Mm. Yeah. So would you say it cures the disease, the malady of the humanly condition, the body, like you said, it cures it by almost in a way changing up the perspective on what the body is. So it goes from maybe the perspective of a prison to a temple. Would you say that's kind of aligning with the yogic path? Of course, of course. Uh, most of the time it, it's difficult for, for people to perceive that this body is somewhat of a limitation and sort of a trap for me. Uh, and when one sort of understands that the body and the core identity are different, then one can sort of see where it limits them. But then the yogic path teaches how you can use this very body, yeah. the mind, the intellect, the senses, to, to develop your spiritual awareness. Mm-hmm. So then you begin to value this body so much and you also treat it as sacred, like you were mentioning, it becomes a temple. And uh, then you think consciously what to put in it, whether through your eating, your hearing, your seeing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's, uh, it's quite transformative. Mm. It's like we, we use the body to realize that we are more than the body. Like you got to start here in a way like this is the foundation but then one may find on the path through the yogic modalities and practices that our self our identity is infinite (laughs) it's it's quite unfathomable and it's way more than we've been told it's way more than the five senses it's way more than all the pains and pleasures of the body but it's, it's weirdly ironic we need to start with the body almost like start with a pro- the problem. I don't know if problem is even the right word, but we start with like, like you said, realizing that it's some sort of malady, AKA I'm just pretty much saying our suffering. We start with the suffering and saying, Hey man, there's gotta be another way. <laughs> there mm-hmm. has to be another way to see this. Um, and uh, yeah, in that I feel as though that's how we, one realizes God. Um, personally speaking, man, I didn't, when I started on the yogic path myself, I didn't have any belief in a God per se. I, I didn't have any kind of like idea or direct experience of a, uh, being a part of a greater whole. I just did it to feel good. You know, I started the asana practice pretty much just as a means of health. And then through that health, the byproduct of it seemed to be a realization, a realization upon realization upon realizations that really amounted to, whoa, this is, this is a temple. This is a divine experience that I find myself in. And then that just, um, that just fed the yogic path even more, you know, just kind of like from there, it's just like a back and forth thing. Um, but you know what I mean? Like, I feel as though, I don't know from personally speaking, but others as well, we get started on the path, not as a means to, you know, figure out our divinity. It just seems to come along the way. (laughs) It's quite peculiar. Yeah. It tends to be like, uh, we're trying to troubleshoot some problems. Yeah. We're finding limitations and, uh, and we see that we're repeating, you know, there's all these patterns that, no longer serve us. And when we start to inquire internally, you know, like why do things work the way they do? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, why do people function in certain ways? And so these questions, like in the Vedas, it is said like that, that uh, the first aphorism of this Vedanta Sutra is 
Tato Brahma Jigyasa, that uh, now that you're in the human form of life, it is time to inquire into the absolute truth. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So we've been inquiring about so many other things. Once we start to desire to know how to solve the existential crisis we meet, and then almost miraculously, you know, if you look back, you see people start coming into you, your space that give you certain information, you know, you bump into books and podcasts and it just starts to all unfold yeah, starts towards to answering these, these questions. Yeah. Mm -hmm. mm. Now, would you say this desire, this yearning for a return to Krishna, to a divine essence within one's life is like the epitome of all of our desire, you know, or is that what every single human being really deep down, even if they don't recognize it, is yearning for? And ultimately that is a means to peace and happiness and bliss in our life. We just have misplaced priorities on how to go about uh, reaching this so-called peace, happiness and bliss. Yes, yes. Uh, actually, desire is at the core of how our life moves. Mm. And so we're living in a world where there's these narratives that have been spun before us. You know, we, we, we get born into a world that presents sort of a paradigm. Uh, this is how you'll be happy. This is what success is. Materialism. And, and yeah. And uh, with that, then we shape our desires. We all try to get these things. We race towards them. We fight each other for them. But when one gets that realization that it's not working, I'm doing all the things that the culture says, if I do, I'll be happy. Mm -hmm. and, it, and I'm not feeling happy or peaceful or satisfied. Then almost uh, by by way of like default design, you, you start to call out like, you know, what's going on? What's wrong? You start to ask these real questions. Yeah. And um, so when there's that, that desire grows in a person to solve the struggles of life, you know, then a human being actually utilizes the human form for its higher purpose. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, it is generally being used at the level of what the animals can do. Yeah. You know, yeah. the animals are also desiring safety. So they fight each other. They desire sex. We all search for sex, food. They also doing that sleep. Mm -hmm. So we just do it in a more sophisticated way. It costs us more money and time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but when the human being starts to inquire about something beyond these basic necessities, then he, he actually comes to the human platform and can use this body towards something like liberation, mm. you know, getting out of it. It seems like liberation and also some sort of means of evolution, like some kind of conscious evolution. Because like you said, if if we do follow the popular paradigm of culture, we do stay animalistic in a way. But then if we follow the path per se, it seems as though we transcend the animal and morph into this other being, some other being with other habits and different behaviors that go beyond the animalistic behaviors. Mm, it's quite peculiar. It seems like that's what we're doing. If there's something yeah. going on here, it seems like evolution hasn't stopped. There's still an evolution happening. We didn't, it wasn't just like Darwinian evolution. That's it. We became the human that you see. It's like, no, I think we're still like moving into this almost angelic form. It seems. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of our saints, you know, one of my teachers, he, he calls it subjective evolution. Oh, I like that. that. That's good. Darwin is, is, 
is talking about, you know, the form itself is changing, but actually, yeah, the subject who's perceiving all these things is evolving. And so consciousness at its basic primal form, it is said, you know, we're food conscious. Like the children, you see them, they, everything has to go to the mouth. So that's like uh, childlike primal consciousness, but higher than that, then survival conscious. It's called pranamaya. Everyone's trying to defend themselves. They don't want to be hurt or killed. And higher than that is what something called yanamai. One is interested in knowledge, uh, how to get things done. Mm-hmm. And higher than that, then they want to have realized knowledge, uh, spiritual knowledge, Vigyanamai. And ultimately, knowledge should lead us to, to ecstasy, to joy, yeah. to bliss, which is called, you know, Ananda Maya consciousness. So, rightly said, you know, this evolution is happening. We, we're becoming from animalistic consciousness to this sort of a refined human being, as you're saying, like more angelic, yeah. more embracing divine qualities. You know. Mm. So would you say the monastic path is the easiest way to reach that refinement? Like the most efficient way to go about this refinement in one's life? Yeah, on a personal note, I'd say that it's like a shortcut. Mm -hmm. You know, there's something that uh, I want to, to adjust my consciousness and if I require some training, I, I require a situation that is just about that. And at the core of this new consciousness, this subjective evolution, is tapping back to this mood, which is naturally there of finding happiness in service. Uh-huh. You know, we, when we do things for others, family, society, nation, we, we, we find we get a greater satisfaction. And so that service spirit, when it is reposed to the ultimate personality, you know, Krishna, the divine being, it yields the greatest satisfaction. Yeah. And so within the monastic situation, that's the focus and all the activities are around developing this service attitude. Mm. But it's not the most practical thing for the masses. Yeah. And so you get a few monastics, they need to teach this yogic path to the masses in that from wherever you are, there's a beautiful verse, which says, stay where you are, just here, and absorb your mind in the talks about the divine realm, the Supreme Person, and your divine nature. And by understanding and hearing about that, then whatever you're doing becomes connected to this divine understanding, so that yoga connection. So then your work, your recreation, your eating, your sleeping, your mating becomes spiritualized. Mm-hmm. And so you are able to function in the world, but then you bring the divine consciousness into your area of influence. So in that way, the masses of people have a sort of a monastic living, but within their own spaces. Uh-huh. I see. Yeah. yeah. It's almost like I see monastics as being the... Um pioneers of this wavelength uh being a yes the teachers of this wavelength but the way you put it yeah it's like eventually eventually everyone's gonna kind of get on this wavelength in other words humanity's gonna realize life is a sadhana earth is an ashram and we are all the sangha um, so I, I see monastics in the time that we're speaking as the ones that are paving the way for that. 
You know? Mm. Yeah. I like how you put that. I do believe it, man. No, it's a fact. I think the example has to be set. Mm. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's how also materialism and consumerism is marching on because the example of it is always put in our faces. And, and for monkey see, monkey too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So everyone just you know, repeats that. Mm-hmm. So when people are now beginning to look for an alternate way of being, mm-hmm. uh, then, you know, the monastics and their practical way of being has to be then seen by the people. Mm-hmm. And, and I think it rings more true when individuals that are not necessarily fully monastic are showing that the knowledge, the awareness can be integrated into the lifestyle that most people are comfortable in, meaning within a, a home with children, wife, with assets, yeah. and, and dealing with money. Mm. Yeah, then, then it's easier for most to apply. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So really what this all amounts to, put in a simplistic manner, is that one's life, yes, we seem to form some kind of connection with a, a greater whole, the divine, God. That's cool. That's the first step. And then the next step is you work from that. You know, your seva becomes working in doing for that divine whole, which is ultimately in humanity as well. So what I'm saying is what comes from this path eventually comes, uh, how do I put this? What comes from following the path is just being a selfless servant of that divine, which leads to just becoming um, a servant to humanity. Like you just become Mm -hmm. a natural flowing expression, um, like an instrument of God. You know, you just tune yourself to it and then you, you play the song. Um, would you say that's an apt description? Like you just naturally the service just kind of comes about. It almost becomes obligatory at some point. Yeah, completely, completely. Yeah. We, we want to be yeah instruments of that grace. We want to um, reflect, reflect yeah, that love of, yeah. Of, of Krishna in this world. And, and to, to demonstrate the joy of the soul, which is from selfless service. The joy of the soul. I like that. If you ever write a book, that should be your title. I like that a lot. The joy of the soul. Okay, I'll note that. <laughs> <laughs> if it's not already taken, that's good. Hmm. Yeah, we, we were just out on the streets uh, doing some Hare Krishna chanting. And uh, one man came to us and he said, you know, I really love this. He said, you guys are actually free. Huh. And he was pointing at everyone else, you know, everyone else is, <laughs> is hooked and stuck. Mm. And you guys are just are free. You can come out and sing like children. I think that is really what the soul is about. And I thought he was really on it, you know. You could see that that by being connected, we we transcend all these uh, so-called rules and regulations that keep us thinking I should toe the line in this way and that way, and somehow I'll become happy by just doing what everyone else is doing. You know? yeah. yeah. Did he actually say you're out here singing like children? Yeah. Mm. Yeah, that just brings yeah. up the Bible quote to me. Unless you um, become like children, then you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Mm. Mm. Yeah. <sighs> yeah, it's coming back to a sense of innocence, right? A sense of pure pureness, sattvic, sattvic mm. living. Oh, man, I feel that. Mm. Yeah, what do you think, if we could dive into that a little more, what do you think he saw? In, in you that was free. If you could explain what that means. What do you think freedom is? You know, because there's a lot, that's a buzzword 
<laughs> in mm. this realm, liberation, freedom. So how would you describe true freedom, like true freedom in our consciousness? I know that's a big one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but it's, it's a good one. Uh, I, I, I felt that the man was, you know, thoughtful, very thoughtful. Mm-hmm. I, I, I tend to be when I'm out on the streets and singing and chanting, I just, I have this smile that just is part of my being. But when we're chanting Hare Krishna, it, it's just, um, we're no longer sort of here, mm. you know, so, and, and part of that chanting, I'm always meditating that may this sound vibration be received by who's hearing it and in a way that they can understand that this vibration is not from this dimension and that their hearts can connect to that place which has no confines like yeah. death and old age and disease. Yeah. And uh, so that freedom to to just let go of what's supposed to be mm. and connect to what is. And someone looks at it and just knows this person is really into what they're doing. And then therefore they're, they're no longer part of this, but they're part of that. Yeah. What they're, like what a, they're doing. It's like an alternative storyline. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's yeah. the storyline. It is, it is the way that you're tuning yourself to. Hmm. Wow. Yeah, it's like um yeah, like you said, you're you're not here. There is nobody here. You just lose yourself to just the current man. You lose yourself your your sense of self with a lowercase s and you gain a sense of self with an uppercase s. Um yeah. reminds me of that statement of Jesus, you know, to to leave in this world, but not be off this world. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like this person is yeah. seeing these guys are no longer just about here. They are really somewhere else. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Almost like aliens. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know what you mean though. Yeah. I try to mm. keep that quote in the back of my head, be in this world, not of this world. Mm. Mm. I mean, that's a rabbit hole in itself because then one can go down and think like, all right, well, what's going on here? Is there something like, you know, are we under some kind of spell some from some kind of, you know, cabal or something? Like what, what is, what has gone astray? Who knows? But there's something definitely up here. You know, the illusion of Maya is very strong at this point in time. Um, so yeah, it's like, if you get sucked into that, man, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, we've all, I feel like, come from, well, originally we all come from source. We get sucked into Maya. And then I guess it's our path to be, to be in the illusion of Maya and not of the illusion of Maya. But it's so strong, man. And it's so like, in today's world, it's so, um, oh, it's just like, it's hard to, to shield oneself from getting sucked into the noise and the drama, you know? That's why I, I see the monastic path and I bow to everybody in that and I totally understand why one follows that because the dangers are out there to, uh, to confine oneself into the idea and paradigm of the ego. Um, yeah, I don't really have anything else to say about that. I don't know where I was going, but I think you know what I mean. The, Maya, Maya, yeah. man. <laughs> it's true, it's true. I this is is often raised to me by persons that I'm dealing with that I'm walking with some that I'm as their teacher or as a friend like that that because they are sort of on their own once they leave the sanctity the sanctuary of of, of being with us you know the monks then yeah everything it's almost like um, what Morpheus told Neo in the Matrix, that everyone that's connected to the Matrix is a potential agent. <laughs> mm, mm, yeah. So, yeah. so it's like that. It's the people, they are operating based on 
the illusory conceptions that are being pushed out. And, you know, all the media is also pumping that same narrative. The food, the, the, the water is basically... Everything. Everything is pervaded by everything that. Everything is the matrix. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So the key... you need to really be strong yeah. to, 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 to withstand that current. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the advice I always give is, yes, um, the association has to be valued. There, when there is some sangha, uh, either it's online or in person, make yourself available. And these days, there's a lot of recordings. You can listen to the Hare Krishna mantra. You can hear uh, different lectures. Just always plug in to hearing of the alternate position. And that hearing is itself imbued with spiritual potency. So it, it, it kicks out all that yeah maya's uh broadcast <laughs> right it's a different tuning we're tuning ourselves slightly different to the frequency of god you know mm-hmm. yeah yeah it's to see through the illusion and i feel like once one gets on the path it's um it's easier <laughs> it's easier to see through the illusion of maya um mm-hmm. because it's just like at some point, personally speaking, it's, you can just see how futile it all is. Once one gets mm. really serious in, with Krishna consciousness, but once it, mm. one gets really serious on the path, if you're really, mm. like, if you're 100% on this path, not, you know, no half measures, if you're really about mm. it, it's so easy to see. <laughs> like, it's just like, yeah. it's almost like juvenile at some point to see through all of the illusions of Maya and the different shapes and ways that Maya may try to tempt one. It's so easy and apparent to see. Like, there's nothing stronger than the frequency of God. Once you tune yourself, once you tune your radio frequency the, to the frequency of the divine love that you are, anything else, it's like, all right. It's you again, dressed like this, or you're coming in a different way now. Yeah, yeah. just different forms. It's just like what Ramdas mm-hmm. says, like treat everybody like God and drag. And I feel as though <laughs> everybody and everything at this point is God and drag. And that's how we respond to the illusion. It's like, it's like not necessarily, I mean, it depends on the situation, I'm talking generally here, but it's not necessarily like push people away and resist the illusion of Maya, like to be in the world is actually, I feel as though if one can see through the illusion and see Krishna within somebody that doesn't even know they're God, you know, somebody that doesn't even know they're a part of this, this greater uh, aspect of the divine. I think that's the, that's where it gets tricky. You know, how can you love through somebody else's illusion? through the illusions of all of this world, how can we love and selflessly serve in the best of our ability, even in the most darkness, you know, even in the most thickness of Maya? We do the path, I guess, to refine ourselves, to ultimately um, be tested on how we can love throughout all of our suffering. Um, That's how I see it, at least. You know what I mean? It's like, I, I feel as though, I mean, we're, we're in different circumstances, obviously, but I, me living in the, uh, in the Western world, in, in the, uh, in, I'm in the, I'm in it, man. I'm in Maya, you know, physically. Vortex. What, I'm what? Mm. I was saying in the vortex. Yeah, I'm in the vortex, man. So every day, it seems as though it's another test, you know, it's another, Maya always is trying to wiggle itself in there to see if, if it'll get me to to not love and to fear another so it seems like we do this path to um yeah to just see through the illusion and um ultimately it's a better that makes life if one can pass the test per se i see it as like that makes life better for me and the other people that do or don't know that they're god and drag you know it's a win-win but it's an everyday thing. You got to have discipline. I feel as though this isn't just like, you know, you go to a yoga class on a Sunday morning and that's it. Then you go that's back in, into it. It's like, no, this is like, this is 
a life. This is a lifestyle. There's no half measures in the yogic lifestyle, I feel. Um, yeah, you know, <laughs> obviously, obviously, you know, I'm not, not preaching to you, man. I'm um, just saying, just speaking out loud, thinking out loud here. Uh, no, it's great. It's great. And you were really on it there, you know, because Krishna also mentions that, you know, one who sees everything in me and who sees everyone uh, in me, then I'm never lost to him. He's never lost to me. Yeah. And, and this idea of loving others and serving others is if we actually try to always see that they are that part of the divine whole, you know, they are uh, spiritual beings. And then the illusion and whatever is keeping us, covering us, then is secondary. Like you were saying yeah. that, that state of God in drag, you know. Mm -hmm. So in that sense, uh, we have to work to stay Krishna conscious, as you were saying, God conscious. Our spiritual eyes should be open. Then we're able to try and love and serve because we're seeing past what's covering people. Yeah. Because generally, um, consciousness, especially our lower nature, is to find the fault only and then conclude yeah. that people are just this and that and the other. Yep. And so it's hard to honor people that you think are like low class or just downtrodden or bad. But when we look for that, the best quality is what they are. They're connected to the Supreme Being that that's their glory. And so they are wonderful in that sense. It's just they're not aware. Yeah. Mm. So then opportunity for, for this service is always there. Yeah, but it's, it's, it's not as easy because when someone is unaware that they're connected to you so intimately, you know, in spiritual brotherhood or sisterhood, they may resist you trying to connect to them, you know. They think you want to exploit them somehow. If these days, when you greet someone, hey, how are you doing? They're really thinking, hey, what do you want, you know? Mm -hmm. yeah. So it becomes tricky to, 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 to show that love. Uh, I, and I find this method of um, chanting Hare Krishna is, 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 it's, it makes it hard for someone to resist. It's a song. They're out on the street, you know, they're playing music. You know, it's free entertainment. So even if someone is hard and tough and they come closer, you, you see them, you know, tapping their foot or nodding their head and then even a smile breaks out. <laughs> so then they accept that love, that service, you know, with, with supplying the spiritual song. Yeah. Supplying without any want for anything in return, right? Mm. That's pretty much the premise of the Bhagavad Gita. It's to just almost make your life, it seems, as just like an offering. The service mm. isn't like, you know, I serve you. All right, now how much, what are you going to do for me? It's like, no, I just, I serve you. If you want it, if you want to take it. Um, mm. Yeah. That seems to be the wavelength. Mm. Yeah. And that is a flow, I feel. Because when we want something from somebody or our life, any kind of desire, that's when we create resistance to what is. But if you're just naturally flowing as that instrument, yeah, you're just, you're just offering here, offering there. You just offer a little bit of love here, a little bit of love there. Do some chanting on the streets. And yeah, it's just this cohesive lifestyle pattern that I feel like you build around this whole uh, selfless um, path. Yeah. I get it. It makes so much sense. You know, that's the thing is it makes so much sense when you really just do study these, you know, scriptures and you weigh it within yourself and you meditate on it and you actually bring it forth in one's life. It's like, oh, of course, this is how life is yeah. supposed to be. This is, yeah, of course, I'm just like, we all know. I mean, for anybody listening, when you do something for somebody just out of like genuine charity, it feels good. And we don't even do it necessarily if you don't even do it just to feel good it just happens you just mm. naturally feel good from doing things um the key is to not do it to feel good i guess <laughs> you know that's the kind of that's the that's the trick um but yeah but i guess what i'm trying to say is like that just seems to be 
the way of the human, it seems, in this evolution that we're talking about. It's just evolving to become some sort of offering, some sort of offering. This body is a offering, it seems. It's an instrument, and the instrumentality is some sort of offering in the lifestyle. I don't know. I'm thinking out loud again. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's great. <laughs> great oh, man, I don't even know. We've covered, uh, we've covered a lot of ground for a short amount of time. Um, yeah, this is good. This is a good talk. I don't even know where to go from here. I guess maybe we can take it down a notch. Um, what are some practices and modalities that you would recommend to somebody that does approach you on the street, the layman? And they're like, hey, what's all this, uh, what's going on here? Like, how, how do I get what you got, <laughs> you know, in terms of your, you know, like, what's the magic sauce? You know, what do you guys do? Is it just start with meditation, chanting? What would you say? Yeah, I, I, I always uh, tell people, um, The fact that you have a question, this is the beginning. I see. And um, please ask all your questions. Yeah, we have time for that. And uh, we also have these books that are discussing the whole lifestyle. So whatever is in these books is what we accept as our teaching, the knowledge, the truth. So you have to investigate it, you know, read it and let's stay connected. Now we're friends and I give them my card. This is my number. And whatever you want to discuss from these books, uh, I'm available for you, but you have to make the, you have to enter the laboratory and make the experiments also. Mm -hmm. So the books are prescribing this, this chanting, what we're doing. Yeah. And so we are doing it and we're getting the result. But it would be difficult for me to tell you that this cake tastes amazing until you put it in your own mouth. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. So then I encourage people to really interact with the knowledge and I try to create a relationship between myself and them so that we, we can interact on this because it's, it's a gradual thing uh, for someone to to then get the perspective shifted to, mm -hmm. to, to, to sort of change their way of seeing things. Yeah. Mm, but it starts with the question. So those are the primary things. Mm -hmm. It starts with the curiosity. It starts with just mm -hmm. like a simple, like, wait, hold on. A simple. Mm -hmm. hmm. What yeah. is this? Yeah. What, what's going on? Ah, oh, yeah. Yeah. Then the next thing is that, some relationship with someone involved with it. Because uh -huh. there's, there's a tendency that someone wants to know what you're about. But then impersonalism is that they don't want to know from you because they think that you're going to convince them uh -huh. of yeah. something. Yeah. So they think, then I'll go elsewhere to find out about this. So now you're losing out on someone who's actually... Uh, living out this that you're curious about first-hand information so i try to you know make that relationship mm -hmm. yeah like just a general friendship spiritual friendship mm. hmm. do you have a teacher a guru yes 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 my my teacher um he left his body in 2020 uh, His Holiness Bhakti Charu Swami. Wow. He's actually, yeah, a, a disciple of Srila Prabhupada. Oh, oh, I see. This is, this is this gentleman, my teacher. Wow. Yeah. Bow to him. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. Is he the one that befriended you? Like, did you see him on the street? per se, or did you meet, was it from your original friendship? Um, I think you said you saw like a tall African man. Did you find your guru through him? How did this come about? Yeah, I, I met a group of monks 
from that campus program. Okay. And through them, then I, I started to meet initiating gurus who would come to visit. Mm-hmm. And um, I think he was the fourth guru that I'd met within a space of two months uh, that I'd come across Krishna consciousness. And um, there was that connection I felt uh, as he shared the same wisdom I felt. Okay, here's an individual that I'm willing to really give heart and become a surrendered student and Mm. try to live uh, under their guidance. I see. Yeah. So from how I understand the guru-disciple relationship is that the teacher just almost is like your ultimate guide to yourself that knows better than you. Would you say that's a apt, simple description? Yes, yes. And the, the wonderful thing about that is that there's that two-way relationship where you can, you know, put forward your doubts, your trials, your victories, your desires. And then the guru who has walked the path, who has, you know, a, a, a much more elevated, pure consciousness can then help you modify, help you see the speed bumps and, and the pitfalls. Yeah, and I see. Mm-hmm. So guides you from that perspective of realized understanding. Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah, I feel as though that's very valuable. It's almost like to have another viewpoint of yourself, somebody that's part of yourself, but outside of the body in a way. I don't know. I don't have any per se guru (laughs) in a humanly form that I know of at this point. So it's hard for me to speak on. But from what I see of other people that they have dedicated teachers, um, it seems to be a very valuable thing on the path. Like you said, to see your own pitfalls. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. On this part, in fact, um, it's the beginning of the sincere journey, yeah. you know, in the beginning, one has to take shelter of the lotus feet of the spiritual master. It's almost even, you know, preschool, elementary school, university, wherever, to begin any proper understanding of a subject, there must be a teacher. Mm. Yeah, it only makes but sense. But it tends to be, yeah, tends to be, that when it comes to the spiritual, the the popular narrative is that that's when now it's up to you and you can find it on your own and you can make it on your own. Whereas it's the most complex uh, subject, more refined path. It really needs a lot of uh, support and a lot of guidance. And so Guru becomes that via medium between um, what Krishna is teaching, ultimately what God is. So he's a representative of that message, that love, that protection of God. Wow. Like who, who can deal with me in person and, and chastise me, correct me, inspire me. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it seems like the ultimate transparent relationship with another human, which is a transparent relationship with God. They're like a, it seems to be like a, um, like a causal link to God through somebody that is in the human form, somebody that is already done the work per se. They're already somebody that's realized and they're here to just be the offering <laughs> to others. It seems. Hmm. Mm. Yeah. Now, was this like an intuitive understanding? Like this guy walked in the room and you're like, yep this is it? Or is it something that he said? Like, how did you know that this was, this was the guy? Yeah. He came through and, uh, just his, um, his frame, he almost looks like Prabhupada. So initially it was almost like, Hey, this Prabhupada come back to life. (laughs) And, uh, very Mm. gentlemanly, you know, just aristocratic, 
he, I was attracted naturally, you know, also Western mind, just um, hooligan type. So I, I, I really needed someone who could change my whole frequency. Yeah. But then what happened is that he came to speak about a particular topic and hardly 15 minutes into that, he switched to a topic about Zimbabwe. At that time, you know, Robert Mugabe had kicked out the, the British that were in Zimbabwe. <laughs> mm-hmm. And he said, I understand why Mugabe would do such a thing. He's now painted as this dictator, but you think yourself, you are ruling your own country and you have no control of the assets of the country or the land is owned by someone else. You cannot help your people. And so then there's no more diplomatic recourse that you can use. So then you just have to use uh, a type of, you could say violence, get out of here. Mm -hmm. So within me was just a confirmation, wow, the soul is not just here to promote just Krishna and the lifestyle of Krishna, become involved with Krishna, Krishna. But he's so involved with Krishna that he can empathize and put himself in the shoes of someone who has been painted by the media machine as just this demon dictator like Mugabe. So I thought he really has a big heart and very compassionate. Uh, and, And then it just completed my attraction. I see. Huh. Yeah, that kind of gets back to what we were talking about with the illusions of Maya. And that's, you know, how do you love the dictators? That's a big test right there. That's Maya really testing you. Can you see Krishna in these so-called evil dictators? And it seems as though from your understanding, he passed that test. He seemed to be able to love this so-called evil man. Um, yeah, that's quite interesting. That, that is the big test, though, because there is a, a lot of apparent darkness and uh, apparent evil doings of man. Um, so I guess us on the path, it's like, yeah, how can we just like not see the, the surface level doings in that and see really through that and forgive true forgiveness? Easier said than done, for sure. Mm-hmm. Easier said than done. But I think that's the path. It's the path to true forgiveness of all of humanity's sins. Um, easier said than done <laughs> for sure. Oh, wow. You know, I was listening to a Bob Marley song called Zimbabwe yesterday. I'm like, wow, this is a good song. And it was yeah. probably about what you just spoke. Um, and I had no idea that I, I didn't know the story of the song. I was like, oh, this is cool. I never heard this before. Synchronicity right here. Yeah. man. This is good. You wrote it when he came to Zimbabwe. Yeah. Actually. He had a concert in Zimbabwe and his mission to come there was this, you know, that the people are under that subjugation, Uh you know, so, you know, to divide Andrew could only tear us apart Mm -hmm. in every man's chest that beats a heart, you know, a Bob. Um, Yeah, I was a prophet, you know, he was a missionary. Yeah. Really. That yeah. till today, um, his words, they, they, they supply individuals great solace and encouragement. Amen to that. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because I didn't even know the story before you just said it right now. Mm-hmm. But I still resonated with the message of that song, the transmission, mm-hmm. some kind of transmission. And I think really that's the purpose of the guru, of the prophet, of the missionary is to be the transmission of love and whatever medium that comes forth, it's to be like a chain in the link of the love of God. And I find mm-hmm. it quite interesting that you said um, your guru walked in and you thought it was a, um, it was, it was his guru, Prabhupada. Like you said, wait a second, because I feel as though this is what I've analyzed in the past meditation the guru disciple relationship. It's like the guru is not only your teacher, but it's like he's transmitting some kind of energy to you. It seems to be like whatever this force of love, this wavelength of love, it's like something that's passed through people. 
you know, and it's through teachings, it's through like literally refining our character. But at a like energetic level, it seems to me like what we do is we like, it's this, it's this wavelength energy form that travels through our words and our actions. So I see that as uh, the pinnacle of the guru disciple relationship. It's like the guru eventually, well, I mean, the disciple eventually becomes the guru. And those are just labels, but really what it is, it's just like this transmission of energetic love passing through the instrument that we are. Mm -hmm. It's like in a way you do, uh, you, you become an embodiment of Prabhupada. Like it's this chain, you know, it's just like this soul family chain. It just keeps going and you slowly morph into this other being it seems i don't know i'm thinking out loud again <laughs> oh your thoughts are, are like i like rivers of nectar your thoughts i mean yeah acts like a mood that just pervades you you embody that mood yeah of your teacher and uh, ultimately you transmit that to others who see you as an inspiration as a teacher as a guide and it keeps going it's so true mm. I'm always interested of knowing who the guru's guru was. I'm like, all right, this guy is very wise. Who was his teacher? Mm -hmm. And then I keep going, you know, as far as you can go on the internet. I'm like, all right, well, that's his teacher. Who was his teacher? Mm -hmm. And it's so valuable, I feel as though, to people on the path that really, you know, value yogic knowledge and, and, and you know, teachings of these, of these realized people to follow who they learned from. I feel as though there's something about that. I don't know why, just me personally. I'm like, I want to know who was the master of the master, you know? Like Obi-Wan Kenobi, he had Qui-Gon Jinn. Well, who was Qui-Gon Jinn? It's like, just like, there's something valuable about that to actually see that chain, that transmission that travels through the humanly form, that transcends the humanly forms, but to find that, that similarity between them you know, there might be physical differences. There might be differences in the way that it expresses in a human being, you know, how they teach, how they go about it. But my goal sometimes is to find the similarity between all of them. Like, what are they, what are they really getting at? What's the juice of these teachings? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that's, I feel as though, recommend to anybody here, find, who is the teacher's teacher? What are they really getting at here? It's, a, it's an interesting thing. And ultimately, the it's teacher's a, teacher is the Satguru within. It's it's the God. It's Krishna. It's really just like this chain of Krishna that travels throughout us. And we're finding our character to come back into that, you know? <sighs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful. Yeah, that, that's really good advice, actually. Anyone who hears this, that it helps also in our conviction as to the value of those teachings, because uh, they can be, and these days are, you know, self-made teachers. Some, I make up my teachings, or I collect this and that and the other, and then I'm the final authority. So that's generally not a safe um, ship to dock, to, to get on board. Yeah. Uh, it's yeah. good to know, you know, that, this personality himself is a servant of another greater personality. Yeah, a lineage. Therefore, yeah, in that way, yeah. it, they've been trained in and have received the grace and the knowledge from their teacher who has received. Yeah. And ultimately, you see that chain back to the ocean of wisdom and knowledge and love. Yeah. You know, I see that as the highest value to have in the lineage. It's like... um it's to have the initiation from somebody that is realized because yeah, like you said, anybody can truly just go online and make videos. And I'm, I guess that's what I'm doing to a certain extent, but I don't call myself a teacher. I don't call myself a guru or, you know, I don't have any specific lineage. So I guess that's, you know, that's how I'm not into that, but the value in having a, um, what's it called? Yeah. A lineage having like a, a chain is to have the, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, man. It's to have like a, a discipline succession, you know? Yeah. It's like a stamp of approval in a way. It's to mm -hmm. know that like, this is, 
this is legitimate. It's verified in a way. You know, you get the check mark. Yeah. It's like, oh yeah, they, you're, you're good. That's the point I see of the monastic path. It's like, yeah, you're you are the teacher. You get like the you get the thumbs up from society to say, yeah, yeah, he's he's good. You know, you get the he's not just BSing. I mean, there there may be some monks out there. I'm not speaking for everybody. There may be some people that aren't quite. Um, I don't know, maybe they're not the best teachers. It's obviously a generalization, but I think in that generalization, it's that like, yeah, if you if you have this connection to this said transmission, um, it is some kind of some kind of validation to like trust, to trust what they're saying. Yeah. If you want to take, for instance, the Buddhist monastic path, supposedly everybody that's a Buddhist monk, it's like supposedly a chain to the Buddha himself. It may be through like hundreds, of, I don't know how many generations, but it's like, if you see somebody that is a monastic Buddha, I mean, a monastic Buddhist, they have this chain throughout the years of teacher to disciple relationship that ultimately stems to the Buddha. If it's, you know, if it's a legitimate path, supposedly that's the story. And that's why it's, it's actually legitimate in the teachings that one brings forth. Um, that's how I see it. True. Would you would you now how is that different from the monastic path of yoga, right? Because I I see myself as like a yogic Buddhist Christian. I don't know how else to explain it. Like I I dabble a little bit in. I I try to see the truth in all of those different paths. I believe they all relate in one way or the other. If you could, you know, your your teacher had a teacher and your teacher had a teacher and your teacher had a teacher. Where does this lead to? Because the in Buddhas in Buddhist monastic, it's like, yeah, well, it, you know, Siddhartha Gautama. <laughs> he was he was the one so where is is it you know is it is it is it some kind of it's, avatar? Uh, uh it's the the head of uh all lineages or the ultimate guru as we said the sad guru the jagat guru is krishna himself so yeah. god yeah and then so uh the one other aspect of krishna is that he is within the heart of every living being mm-hmm as the super soul, the indwelling guide. And as far as his knowledge in Bhagavad Gita, he mentions uh, how he had spoken this wisdom originally to the sun god mm-hmm. millions of years ago. And so the sun god taught it to his son. His son taught it to Manu. Manu is like the progenitor of the human species. And so from guru to disciple, and then, so within this, what we would call Vaishnava uh, traditions, there, there's four lineages that are considered bona fide or authorized. So at the head of these Jaslipic lines, one is from Brahma, the other one is from the goddess of fortune, Lakshmi, the other one is coming from the Kumaras, and the other one is coming from Shiva. Uh-huh. I see. So Prabhupada uh, is in that chain coming from Brahma, or the Brahma Madhva Gaudiya Vaishnava Sampadaya. Mm-hmm. And uh, within that chain, there's some extra luminaries that are significant to mention. Uh, one of them is Krishna Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. He's actually an incarnation of Krishna who inaugurated this chanting of Hare Krishna as the means with which one can very quickly purify the heart and actually put into action the teachings of the Gita that Krishna had spoken. And that was somewhat recent, right? That was, yeah, over just 530 years ago. Uh Krishna Chaitanya was um, in today's India. Mm. Wow. Whew, okay, that's good. That makes a lot of sense. So it, it all stems back to God and the avatars mm-hmm. of God. Uh, yeah, slightly different in the way the Buddhist monastic paths outline their lineage. I find it interesting. Mm-hmm. Mm. Whew, this is good stuff, man. I don't even know where to go from here. Um, yeah, I appreciate your time. Uh, coming on here. You're a very wise man. Um, I've actually learned a lot from this. I think we had a great flow. It's very insightful. Um, yeah, I think we can probably start to wrap this thing up, to be honest. I don't, 
know uh do you have anything you want to say any you know last words for the pod no i'd say yeah great conversation we covered some ground and i think uh yeah maybe in the future we can pick the certain topics and and talk about it yeah uh i'd just like to say whoever is there uh let's get connected um i like relationships i think we learn better person to person and uh so you can find me on social media as savia the monk yeah here on youtube on instagram and on tiktok but mainly instagram and youtube mm. i'm very active awesome yeah i'll put everything down in the description for anybody um i don't know what else to say i thank so, you for your time pursue it pursue it we yes. should not be lazy Mm-hmm. Anyone who is inspired by what you hear from our discussion with Gary, um, put some energy in trying to pursue the inner path, mm-hmm. and you will not be disappointed. Mm-hmm. It's worth it. It's worth it. <sighs> well, I thank you, Hare Krishna. Thank Sadia. you so much. Thank you. Um, keep doing your thing. I wish you all the best. Thank you for anybody that listened this long. Um, namaste. Thank you, Gary. Take Peace. care. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna.